You're with Julian on the brand note and a review of Gladiator. So the only reason I'm doing this, and I might do it a bit more, is I, after years of having, I got TV envy shamed. I had one of my mates who came around and watched uh, one of the, I think the World Cup games or whatever. Six months later, I get this message saying, your TV's so small, ha, ha, ha. I was like, what? I've never, I've never been TV shamed in my life. So anyway, I didn't get a new TV because of him, even though he keeps telling me I did. I got it because I was working from home and I worked and my monitor blew and I worked out that I could actually run the laptop through the TV very, very well. So anyway, I got a very, I went out on the Boxing Day sales, got an enormous 4K TV. But what I have been doing is re-watching a lot of big widescreen classics. And last night I did Gladiator. Uh, which I hadn't watched all the way through for a long time. And uh, Ridley Scott is someone I admire greatly, but has often been a failed filmmaker. I think his ideas and his uh, his taste are superb. I think his writing is often not, or at least who he gets to do writing. So there are an amazing amount of poor films. in his. It's ironic that Tony Scott has a lot more good films than he's given credit for, and Ridley's got a lot more bad films than he's given credit for. He did a good start. The Duelist was a great indie uh, alien and Blade Runner. That is some trip for the first three films. But Blade Runner is an outstanding movie. But the, the screenplay in it is a very wayward one. I can understand why it didn't get acclaim at the start when it came out. But, you know, no one's going to say it isn't one of the most iconic sci-fis of all time. But then there was a run of films. I mean, Legend has subsequently been highly regarded. Someone to Watch Over Me is a good film, but it's a really small noir film. Um, Black Rain was rubbish. He then hit the jackpot again with a very different film to what he's known for, Thelma and Louise. Again failed with a run of 1492. Him trying to jumpstart the historical epic even back then. White Squall, which no one has seen, and G.I. Jane. And then out of nowhere, after this really crappy 90 decade, he came back with Gladiator in the year 2000. Since then, it's been very hit and miss. We got um, Black Hawk Down, I think, is, is, um, it's well worth it for what it is. Um, but the other historical epics like Kingdom of Heaven and Exodus, Gods and Kings, have been really bad. Uh, I love The Counselor. I think that is the most, I think that he's come into his own in recent times with some of his most artistic stuff. And I think The Last Duel was really underrated. All the Money in the World was really underrated. House of Gucci, I never saw that. But he's got coming up Napoleon and Gladiator 2. So anyway, Gladiator was the best picture winner that year. It didn't get very good reviews when it came out from critics at all. And it's basically a remake of the classic Stanley Kubrick film uh, starring uh, Kirk Douglas' Spartacus, what, the best sword and sandals epic of all time. I mentioned earlier that Avatar had no cultural impact. Gladiator had an enormous cultural impact. It's still memed about, are you not entertained? God, that's a great bit. That is such a good bit. And, you know, the onslaught of historical epics that came after it troy which is a very underrated film alexander which is not loads of them pompeii which is so bad you have to watch it but it had a huge cultural impact it was a massive gamble of a hundred million dollar which to, in today's money is probably 150 million dollar budget sand and 
sword and sandals epic is that what they called them sword and sandals which hadn't been popular since the 60s to do that and to have such an enormous hit the second highest grossing film of the year and to win best picture best actor and i think a total of five oscars it was an enormous film is it any good well yes it is it falls into the bracket of those films like titanic and slumdog millionaire where people might be disparaging about whether they're worthy of a Best Picture Oscar, ignoring all these tepid films that win Best Picture Oscars, going to talk about Green Book or Coda ever again. Compared to those films, they're two and a half hours you spend in love with the magic of cinema. For all its shortcomings, that is what Gladiator does, but it's got a lot of really strong elements to it. In general, the screenplay is really tight. I watched the extended version. It isn't. It is a bit looser, but they only add about twenty-five minutes onto the initial two and a half hour film. It's quite propulsive. I mean, I think the opening is arguably the strongest. It's really, really well done. The battle sequence is really good, but we also get the stage set for all of the main characters, and we know who everyone is and their place. So we get Russell Crowe as the uh, Roman general who is told by the current uh, Richard Harris, Marcus Aurelius, the current Roman emperor, that he doesn't want his son, played by Joaquin Phoenix, to become emperor after him. He wants to return the power of Rome, which was initially the public, back to the public. And after Julius Caesar came in and took over and made it an emperor-led society, he wants to return it to the public. Um, which uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character immediately murders his own father. He cannot stomach the fact that he isn't going to be. We find out Joaquin Phoenix is the polar opposite of the stoic Russell Crowe, who says, I don't want to be the, the leader of Rome. And that's when Richard Harris says, that's why you have to be. Um, but immediately Joaquin Phoenix realises that um, Russell Crowe is going to take his job so he murders his own father and sends Russell Crowe off into the woods to be murdered. He escapes back to Spain where he's from and finds that the Praetorian Guard from Whacking Phoenix's character have already got their first murdered and crucified his family. But grim stuff. And then Russell Crowe is picked up by Oliver Reed as the uh, a slave trading runner of gladiators who himself was a slave and a gladiator who won his own freedom and Russell Crowe then becomes a gladiator who is a lot tougher in the ring than anyone gives him credit for because uh, he's this a soldier and gradually he works his way up to the games that Joaquin Phoenix holds as he's become the now emperor of Rome and holds 150 days of games and Russell Crowe thinks that's the closest he'll ever get to being able to murder Joaquin Phoenix it's a great setup and it happens fairly quickly um there are many elements here that are ripped completely from spartacus such as the main character becoming a gladiator such as the politicized senate and certain members of the senate peter ustinoff won an oscar as the slave trader that is now played by oliver reed in his last ever role and Richard Harris um, as the old emperor, there's not really one there. But in Spartacus, this is expanded into a slave revolt involving tens of thousands 
of a slave army fighting the Roman army uh, for freedom. And this happened in real life. To a degree, it happened in real life. And um, it's just a masterpiece of a film. This is a much smaller film in that it doesn't resolve itself around a grand battle. It resolves itself on an ever more intimate scale between Connie Francis, brilliant performance by Connie Francis, as Joaquin Phoenix's sister, who's put in the horrible position of Joaquin Phoenix eventually saying that she has to be his wife and bear him an heir. All very uncomfortable stuff. The Oscar-nominated Joaquin Phoenix made his name in this film. He's a brilliant characterization of a deeply broken, troubled individual with brilliant political skills and intuition and absolutely no morality whatsoever. And Russell Crowe won Best Actor. That's the kind of role that doesn't normally get, get, get Best Actor. Probably something like Forrest Gump would be in that ballpark. Russell Crowe's acted technically better, particularly in The Insiders, which came out just before, and LA Confidential. But there's no doubting what a rabble-rousing performance can do. And he doesn't put a foot wrong, and you completely are on his side and in love with the character and his stoicism and his, in his journey. Um, so it's a, it's a worthy one in that he takes everything on his shoulders. Um, it still stands up as a film. It is really well shot. Uh, it's got a big Hans Zimmer score, if not a particularly memorable one. But it's all about the fact that Ridley Scott creates an amazing raft of characters that are really well defined and awards worthy acting across the board. You know every character inside and out, and that's what's you know that's what's missing from something like um, Kingdom of Heaven or uh, those other failed Ridley Scott historical dramas or Exodus. You don't know who anyone is, and you don't care who anyone is. Here, he creates five or six main characters that are brilliantly defined and performed. The cinematography throughout is excellent. The screenplay itself, which is seems to be whether or not a Ridley Scott film survives or fails, is probably one of the best that he's worked with. There's very little fat on the bones. Even in the extended one, there's, there's not too much downtime. And it's forward propulsive. It's not all the way perfect. Um, you can argue about certain elements that arise in film, but I felt like they actually hit everything on the head. And some people have said that, you know, this idea of a fascist dictator taking over where they want to hand back power to the public is actually more sort of relevant to the modern era than it was in the year 2000 when it came out. I'm watching the clock now. So it's still sumptuous, rewarding, emotionally satisfying and exciting entertainment. I'm going to give Gladiator a 9 out of 10. 